0: One of the pleasures of working with themes is to kind of dive into things and, okay, geek out just a little bit. Holding history is one of those kinds of opportunities. One of the great qualities of history is uh, its dense, complicated, almost fractal kind of nature. You can take any one name, one idea, a year, and dive in, kind of explore, discover, encounter, look at the history, look at the context. Uh, it It is an adventure in encountering the threads that stretch deep into the past in multiple directions, and then starting with that one idea or name, go from there to consider what might be coming down the road. Holding history is our theme this month. Last week, we uh, unpacked a little history and a little use of the nature of worship and service, how those words have come to us and what we do with them now. For today, I want to offer uh, the concentrated conversation that is about, in Unitarian Universalism, we have seven principles, as Amy shared the story today. There are seven principles and six sources in Unitarian Universalism. And if you happen to have a gray hymnal and like to follow along, because we like text, right? We love words. One of the wonderful things in Unitarian Universalism is that right at the beginning of our gray hymnal is in fact the seven principles and the six sources. And it starts with we the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association covenant to affirm and promote, and it goes from there. But these didn't just, like, pop out of a printer uh, instantaneously. They came from someplace, so I want to talk a little bit about their origins and go a little bit further back than you might think. So we have, in Unitarian Universalism, core concepts that have been around for a very long time, for centuries in fact. One of the core concepts is freedom, that we are not bound by any one particular creed or statement of belief. There is, we are encouraged and recognize um, kind of part of that inherent worth that the human spirit can be in a constant state of discovering and encountering and an opportunity to wonder and question and explore again and again, including and perhaps especially in such matters as faith and religion and values and how we live that out in our world. We encourage that search for truth and meaning, a free and responsible one as we talk about it in our current principles. We encourage that because revelation is not sealed. There is no one definitive understanding of how the universe is. We get to be, in fact, we are in some ways obligated to keep wondering and exploring as we take responsibility for that freedom of search and do so with thought and reflection and education. We also, in our ongoing values, Uh, in Unitarianism and Universalism, want to point to something larger than ourselves. Most frequently and longest in our history has been to God or also the teachings of Jesus. But we go much broader than any one particular religion as well and, in fact, understand that larger than ourselves to be certainly our communities, certainly the world, but also how are we related to Um, all that is, the universe and so much more. And the seeds of that you can see, going back such a long time. Let me offer a couple of specific moments in our history. So the Universalists, if you're new to us today, there's the Universalists and there's the Unitarians. And these were two particular religious traditions the Unitarians kind of came forth from our established uh, congregations, especially in New England, but also in other places in this country. Um, but in the Universalists, uh, well, let me back up. So the Unitarians were looking at the Bible and saying, you know, there is no Trinity. There is not a, you know, a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit kind ofness. There is God, and then there's Jesus, Um, And Jesus is not equal to God. And this has gotten us into a lot of trouble over the past couple of thousand years. But it's determined to say, you know, people are looking forward again and again, saying, you know, we see this one iteration of God that is expansive, but Jesus is not the same as God. So this idea of Unitarianism kind of was... Uh, a pejorative for a long time, but then claimed as a title. Uh, and it was an interesting, uh, an interesting balance to figure out how to speak to this emerging theology that centered on God and not the Trinity uh, in this country when you also had people in the pews, people who are part of the congregation who were still holding on to, you very much abiding by, and it spoke to them, the faith in the Trinity of that Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You can imagine what the preaching in in the early 1800s was like by saying, uh, just trying to understand the nature of God and trying to speak to it, knowing that you had such a broad theological tent just from that perspective. The Universalists had an interesting challenge as well. Um, They were kind of defining themselves as their own sect and faith. The Universalists were concerned with that we all share an ultimate destiny, destiny, or in the biblical terms, that we are all saved by Jesus' sacrifice. One of the ones you see in Winchester, New Hampshire, uh, from 1803, for example, has a statement of belief uh, in God's love and forbearance that all souls shall be saved. But it also allowed for congregations to kind of have their own have their own statements of faith that went along with that. And the Universalists had several iterations of this in 1870, 1899, and 1935, all with an effort to define mutual commitments, ultimate theology, and faith in salvation. But the Unitarians, as they were trying to kind of hold the theological range Theirs were gauged more, their declarations were more about structural support, like you can come and print a newsletter kind of level. Um, We can help each other with practical tasks. But the theological discourse was very active all through the 1800s and into the 1900s. In the 20th century, you have this additional emergence of humanism, of ministers who were not theist, who were not beholden to God um, as a theological center, while you also had so many people centered on God. And mind you, we're doing this work about theology in the context of our, our country's history and world history, of World War I and World War II, of great existential questions about the nature of humanity and profound revelations about the harm that we can commit to each other so intentionally. So in summary, that all of these theological statements and structural declarations and so on led to, uh, they realized the Unitarians and the Universalists realized that they probably would be better together than apart, and it took some years to manifest this. But finally, the Unitarians and the Universalists consolidated themselves, and that was ratified in 1961. So now we have the Unitarian Universalist Association. And the formation of the association brought with it six principles that are incorporated into the association's bylaws. Um, And in theirs, they talk about being um, in accordance and dedicated to the principles of a free faith. And they talk about the free and disciplined search for truth, the search and spread of universal truths taught by the great prophets and also in Jewish and Christian heritage and also love of God and love to man. There's a commitment to affirm and defend and promote the supreme worth of every person, the dignity of man, and the use of democratic method. So those were some of the pieces of the six principles at the outset of Our association. It very much focused on the search for truth and meaning and specifically included the teachings of prophets of every tradition and naming our Christian heritage and the love of God and love to man. But there were some challenges with these principles. In case you didn't notice, there was a certain gender-specific language, very male-oriented language. But it also, these principles, didn't point to the larger self so much, the larger existence. Uh, Some felt like there was an absence of God or ultimate concern. And also in our society, uh, shortly after, there was a growing awareness of the environment, of being part and parcel of the earth. None of these spoke to that obligation either. And also in the, uh, also in our larger social context, there was a growing awareness of gender equality. Uh, So women were starting to push toward reviewing the language from those 1961 principles for the purpose of changing the culture as well as becoming more inclusive. There were different conferences, different debates, uh, but one of the signature moments was 1977 in where our, uh, we have a democratic process of delegates who report to our General Assembly on an annual basis to determine the business and commitments of our association. And one of those in 1977 was a commitment called the Women in Religion Resolution that included a commitment to examining our faith's language and culture about assuming patriarchy, assuming male leadership. And it was so interesting to read some of the um, accounts of the time, because some of the conversation very much included, well, talking about mankind includes everybody, right? Talking about brotherhood includes everybody, doesn't it? But the women in religion resolution in particular helped people to pause and think about this again. In fact, most of the ministers were men, and very few of the ministers were women, for example. One male minister that was high in the leadership, one of our great elders in our faith, uh, he himself talked about pausing and realizing that if he had a son, there would be no question about that son's uh, you know, opportunity to choose ministry. Why, of course, go ahead and choose ministry if you wish. But if he had a daughter, but if he had a daughter... that that he wouldn't think about ministry for her, that he would not have thought about a future of ministry for her until this conversation was getting to this point. So even as a faith bound on freedom, welcome, mutual respect, search, and a mutual accountability and relationship had a long way to go in this work. The Christian ministers, I will also turn, were concerned about the loss of the very significant theology that comes from, very much in our tradition, the loss of reference to God. And there was a fear that they would remove all religious language and kind of basically remove the religiousness out of Unitarian Universalism. Maybe we should have potlucks instead of worship for example. I mean, don't count, don't count me, don't say me wrong, a potluck can be a religious experience, but, but, they had concerns. So the accumulation of these concerns from the different ministers of theologies, from women in religion, and from the environment and other grassroots movements that were happening, said, you know, it's really time to look at this language and how we describe our core beliefs again. And so in 1981, there was formed a commission to look at this language and update and change the bylaws and it consisted of ministers, lay leaders, men, women, and included reaching out to every congregation. This is a multi-year effort that had built on the previous multi-year effort that had gotten to the conversation in the first place. One of the moments of brilliance in this process was when people were talking about that the principles that were being drafted looked like they weren't gonna have any mention of God. Um, And somebody said, well, let's actually create two parts, two parts to this, that you have the principles and you have the sources, the sources that say, where do we come from uh, in all of this inspiration? And those sources were teachings of people, science and nature, um, humanist teachings that caution us against idolatry, as well as world religions and Jewish and Christian traditions that call on us to love our neighbor. There were certainly any number of conflicts and conversations, but the process, in terms of kind of really radically rewriting um, and coming up with new, a new declaration of kind of structure here was remarkably civil, if you will. It was one of those kinds of things where clearly something had found a moment in time and people were responding to it. One of the biggest additions to our original, to the six principles, was the seventh um, which is respect, that we covenant to affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. It included that environmentalness and included that recognition of that we are situated in a far larger context than any other uh, that had been quite fully articulated. This was approved, the final version of all these principles and sources and the purposes were approved by the delegates in 1984 and sent to the congregations. There were these big, beautiful, kind of soft, beigey, peachy posters with orange and red script. I remember seeing these when I was 12 and 13, right at the time when I really needed something to kind of articulate and talk about with my friends. We, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to affirm and promote. And then it went from there. Inherent worth, acceptance of one another, justice and equity uh, in human relations, the encouragement for search and free and responsible search, democratic process, the goal of world peace, and being part of our interdependent web. And those have pretty much remained the same. There was one addition in in, uh, 1994 to the sources, And some of the hymnals actually reflect the change. Some of your hymnals will have five traditions in this lovely front page, and some of them will have six. And I happen to look upon the one in the pulpit happens to be one of those five sources pages. In 1994, they added, along with the humanist teachings and world religions and so on, earth-centered traditions. And in the moment that that was voted on, one of the representative from congregations, who is a Native American in full headdress uh, for his nation, stood up and said, finally, my people are included in these sources too. It was a remarkable moment. And now, we we'll go from 1984, which has been a while, I will say, and to today. We are in another moment of shift, potentially. We are in another moment, and people are starting to talk about, let's take a deeper look at our principles once more. Where this is coming from is a conversation about our eighth principle, the proposition to include another principle to the seven, which specifically talking talks about uh, racial, bias and oppression and becoming uh, a more whole, a more whole society. Uh, The language for that includes, uh, the summary of the language of that includes that we build a beloved community free from racism and oppression. That we build a beloved community free from racism and oppression. That's as a proposal for an eighth principle has been coming through since about 2017. We talked a little bit about that last spring. As we come into our General Assembly coming into this coming year, uh, they'll be in, Prov- in Portland, Oregon. You can be in person and remote. We're going to hear more about these principles and this opportunity to l- look at them again. This principle, I think, is helps us name racism in particular and forms of oppression because of how much that those forms of bias kind of undergird the foundation of our society. There is so much room in it as well for examining multiple forms of oppression. But because these are bylaws and how the rules work, if you're going to make an addition such as the seventh principle, you end up needing to look at everything all at once. So we'll see, this is the conversation that's starting to get get gain speed in earnest at this time. But I also want to offer a little reflection on the principles and sources, um, kind of how they came into being today, because next week our guest minister will be the Reverend Tet Gallardo. Uh, She is the senior minister for our Unitarian Universalist congregation in the Philippines. Um, And she'll be coming to us uh, preaching. We're gonna see if it's recorded. We might be live, but we're gonna definitely have it be recorded. That will be kind of exciting. And she's bringing to us a conversation that says, we need another source as well, which is culture. And I'm gonna be looking forward to along with you all to see what she has to say about that and the music that will come along with the service as well. So I want to close. We are deep in what I call our living tradition. What, we have, what I've grown up with is knowing is our living tradition. It's something that speaks to where the values of Unitarian Universalism have been coming from for a long time. Those threads of freedom, tolerance, reason, but also now articulated beginning in the 20th century, more about covenant and community, compassion, and being part of being stewards of the environment as well. And even further as we go along, deepening our understandings of systems of oppression and how to be advocates for justice and how to make a world that is more whole and more healed. Our principles are kind of one of those expressions of values but they're not meant to be a creed. They're not meant to be just blindly followed. They are meant to be worked with, experimented, tested, um, explored. What theology might lead us to saying we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person? But how can we work towards actually living that understanding as well? This is. Unitarian Universalism is meant to be a working experiment, a living laboratory of human relationship, of our relationship with that which is beyond us and greater than us. So I invite us to keep going into this experiment as we've been connecting with the history that led us to this point, and then going forward to say, what does this moment call us to do in our declarations of faith, and they're living out our values. Let us go forth. Amen.